0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another transnational episode of Views on View. My name is Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your show host, not show host. With me today, I have one other person, my special returning guest and guest host, Mr. Drew Baker. We're coming all the way from down under in Australia. How are you doing, Drew? Great, Steve. Good to be here. So, why don't you give everybody a little update on why you're in Australia instead of normally in LA. I I find the process quite interesting for those of us who don't have to deal with visas and migration and all that.
1: Yeah, it's funny, and the visa that I'm on is also kind of got an interesting backstory to it all. So, I'm on a, what's called an E3 work visa that I have to renew, well, specifically for Australians, and you you get it for two years, and it's renewable indefinitely. And it's very similar to the H1B, which probably everyone in the tech world is familiar with. So it's same rules as the H-1B, except you don't have to like sort of justify that you've tried to hire an American for it. You can just hire an Australian, but they have to have the right qualifications and school history and work experience and all those things. But it's really, really cheap and it's only for Australians. And how we got that visa was it was an act of Congress called the Emergency Wartime Appropriations Act. And we got that visa the day we committed to going into Iraq with George Bush. Oh,
0: I thought it was just because you guys had the best accents.
1: Nah, well, you know, part of that. But yeah, so it was a kickback for going to war. So um, yeah, that's how we got that visa. But it's it's been great for me. I've been on, on it for like 10 years now.
0: So every five years you got to go home for a little bit, reapply and then turn around and come No, away. every two years, every, every two year. years. Sorry, every two yeah. years, so five times I meant to say.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, it was really tricky during COVID obviously because all the embassies were closed and yeah, oh, it was a whole thing. So we'll that's, how started. I, that's how right. I spent one month in uh, Frankfurt <laughs> trying to get uh-huh. my visa renewed.
0: Uh, okay, so that's Frankfurt, Germany, not Frankfort, Kentucky, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> right?
0: So I was uh, recently, my sixth grade son has been studying his states and state capitals, and uh, Frankfort is the capital of Kentucky. And he was always, he was having problems remembering that. So I told him just to think Kentucky hot dog, Frankfurter. And so that's how he remembers that. Good job. Thank you, thank you. And then before I forget, before we move into our topic du jour, I'd like to welcome our studio audience. How you doing audience? Thank you. I, I don't always remember to introduce them, but
2: uh, they're always here, at least in spirit. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwell. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use that I've used through freelancing through my, most of my career as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there.
0: So today's topic is not view specific. I guess you could say that this is going to be our view on hiring, pun intended. So about two years ago, starting in April of 2020, I was going through the hiring process where I was trying to find a job. And then I've been where I'm at for the past just over two years as of November 1st. And over the past year, I've had to do the hiring. I was uh, looking for up to three developers. I eventually hired two. And so what I thought we would talk about today is the hiring process coming at it from both sides as the hiree and the hirer. And I mentioned this to Drew and he was like, oh, dude, we got to talk about this. I got so much to say. And looking at the list of bullet points he sent me, he has a lot to say. So we will get to all those bullet points, but I, I'm going to start out just sort of by talking about what I went through and the processes I went through when I was was trying to, to get a job. And my particular thing that I was looking for was a view developer didn't mean that that's what I was hard set on, but that was what I really wanted to do is that's what I'd been doing for the previous year. So a little bit of context. This was starting in April of 2020. And starting about that time, there's a little thing going on called COVID. Now, when I lost my previous job, it actually, the timing was there, but it actually had nothing to do with COVID. The company I was at had a new CEO come in. And because the Previous one was really horrible at managing things, including finances. And the company was based in San Diego, but we had an engineering shop up here in the uh, south of Portland in the Portland area. And they started by cutting a couple positions here and there—a manager position and a couple other people. And then one Monday, we called it Bloody Monday. Fourteen of us got let go, and they basically just gutted the development shop up here shop here and so all of a sudden we're looking to hire. Now in the previous eight, nine years since I had been in full-time software development, I had been mostly in the Drupal world and finding a position really hadn't been that difficult for me. I'd had a couple of times where companies had shut down because of financial issues or various other reasons and I'd lost a job. And i had been generally been able to find one fairly quickly. In this case though, as is actually going on right now, There was a lot of tech layoffs going on, a lot of of downsizing. And so where normally the field might not have been quite as competitive, it was incredibly competitive. You had all kinds of developers and engineers out there looking for positions. And of course, remote work was exploding because of restrictions and and people not wanting to be in the office together. And so that compounded things even more because I was looking for remote work. And so I started looking at jobs and posting and applying and applying and applying. And I think I still have a directory with all of my cover letters, which is probably the one thing I hated more than anything was writing cover letters, because what you don't want to do, and we can, we'll probably talk to uh, talk to this a little later when we discuss the being on the hiring side of things, doing the hiring. You don't want just a cookie cutter off the shelf cover letter, you know, that you submit the same for every job. Hey, I feel like I'd really be an asset to your company because I can do this and this, you know, you got to tailor it to what they're doing. So anyway, I wrote a lot, a lot of cover letters. Ironically, side note, a little while later after that, my wife was applying for a job and she asked me to help her write a cover letter. And, and I whipped one out for her and she says, dang, that's pretty good. I said, trust me, when you've had the experience I had, <laughs> you get really good at it. So wrote a lot of resumes, cover letters, and I got a few bites. And what was interesting and some of the things I hated more than anything was some of the things you were asked to do during a hiring process. So, for instance, one of the very first ones I had was for a small insurance company. And I don't even remember the name that had I'd been referred to by somebody that had worked with me at where I got laid off and never talked to anybody, never met anybody. They had me do a coding challenge. Now there's various types of coding challenges and we'll probably talk about the various ones down the road including the one that we used, that I used when hiring. But the ones that I hated were the multi-hour, multi-day projects. Here, code up this thing that does this and this. And make sure you incorporate this and this and this. And one of the first ones I did, I, I'll never forget this. They wanted to take no more than three to four hours, but yet they wanted to, to basically implement this whole user user login roles system. And oh, any good developer in the line literally said, any good developer should be do this, be able to do this in a couple hours. I said, What? <laughs> I mean, there's whole projects, you know, Auth zero or any number of things out there meant to, that are meant to solve this kind of problem. And I should just be able to whip something up in a couple hours. I don't think so. And so I know ne- in that particular case, they didn't like it. And I forget the reasons why. And I never talked to anybody. And all I got was the, oh, was the emails through a recruiter because they were going through a recruiter. But there are another, another few projects like this. I can think of a couple where, you know, here, spend a day or spend four or five hours whipping up some project and and we'll look at it and, and tell you what we think. And a lot of time, you know, my experience there was one thing or another, you know, if I didn't do enough tests or this wasn't right. Hey, your code is beautiful. You write really great code, but you didn't do this and this. And there's one particular project I remember where they wanted to me to use a specific framework and as a view based framework for a view app that I had never heard of before, have not heard of since then. And it was probably one of the most painful things to use. You know, if I would have been able to use something like a ViewDefy or a Bootstrap View or a even Tailwind or something like that. But this was written by somebody who, where English was not their first language and everything was translated and it was, it was just horrible. And I told him afterwards, I said, that was a pain to use. You guys might want to think about using another framework. And he said, "Okay, good. Thanks for the feedback. But those ones where you're, you know, here you are trying to write all these things and do hour long, you you want to do half day long or multiple hour projects. And oh, yeah, we don't like this or that. It blew my mind. Not so much. It to me it just seems a waste. It doesn't seem like an accurate, you know, representation of what you can what you can do. And I suppose there somewhere some where I could have taken two, three, four days, but I had a family to take care of. You know, I had other work to do. I had uh, you know so many other things going on. And taking that much time for a job interview, just as a, as a test project, was was to me not one of the best uses of my time. Any thoughts on those, Drew? I know we might get to those later, but uh, what's your thoughts on, on big, huge projects like that, just for a job interview?
1: yeah so just so everyone knows i have worked at funk house now for 10 years so i have not applied for a job anytime recently (laughs) so my experience is much more on the other side of it on on hiring people and when it comes to the coding challenges like we we've had people do those and iterated it over. <laughs> so here over, I am bitching these. and
0: moaning year after, oh yeah, we do those all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, because the, the truth is they are very, it is a really good way to tell if someone is, actually knows what they're doing, you know, and hearing you talk about like weird frameworks and things like that. Part of what we would want out of those coding challenges is to see how people would respond to weird scenarios. And it wasn't necessarily like, are oh, we're going to use this framework. It's more like, can you figure this thing out that I know you've never heard of? <laughs> because a lot of the times we're going to have, be dealing with problems that you've never dealt with before. So there's those. There's some purpose to some of those things. Not, not saying that maybe like those ones had no purpose, who knows. But uh, I just know that we have specifically tried to ask people to do some things that we know that they probably haven't done before, just to see. So, you know, there's that too, to it all. And then you mentioned the feedback you know, getting feedback on on your code challenges, on the code challenges that we would ask people to do, I would always give feedback and always try and be critical in some way, not in a mean way or in a a mean evil way, just in a direct feedback way, because I wanted to see how that person would respond to feedback. So even if you ace the test, you were going to get some negative feedback no matter what it was, just to see how you responded. Because that's a big part of working with someone is being able to tell them like, hey, I don't want you to do it that way, or you did it the wrong way, or whatever, whatever it is, and see how they respond. So, you know, keep in mind, when you're going through those coding challenges, it's not actually always about the code. It's about working with this person and how they're going to respond to things. So that was interesting. But we, we had a rule, and this is like, people listening out there that are thinking about hiring people. A good rule that we followed, and this is not, we didn't invent this, I think I came across this on Hacker News, was we were never going to ask anyone to do a coding challenge or put any more time in than we ourselves were going to put into that person. So if we were going to spend half an hour per person looking through their resume and sort of evaluating them on paper, and then we were going to spend a couple of hours on phone calls with that person, we were going to put Two or three hours into a good candidate. So, we would not expect that candidate to put any more time than that into us. That was kind of the rule that we followed. We had three or four people involved. So, if you talk, that was three times four people. We're putting a good chunk of time in ourselves. So, if we're going to ask someone to do something that was going to take them three or four hours, we felt like that was kind of fair. But we weren't going to ask the person that just had submitted a resume and had to put no other time in, hey, do this four hour p- coding challenge. Like, it had to be like, We felt like this person was good and we put some time into them. So we would only ever ask people to do a coding challenge after we'd met with them a few times and we felt like, okay, this is a personality fit. You know, we think there's a culture fit here. On paper, they seem like they can do the job. Their work history suggests they'll be able to do this stuff. Okay, do this coding challenge and we hope that you can back up
0: everything you've told us. Um, Yeah, that's, I mean, that I would strongly agree with because we did the same thing. You know, we'll get to that when I talk about me being on the hiring side of things, but it wasn't used as an initial screen. Here, go do this for our project. And if we like you, then we'll talk to you because you could get you know, you know, as well as I do, that you could get somebody who's a code genius but if they're a pain in the rear to work with and they're divisive or they're, you know, mean to people are just not easy to work with, then you've wasted a whole bunch of time because you would never want to work with them in the first place. Right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's, I just, I just had a sore spot. Maybe I'm just sore because I never really did really well at them. I've learned a lot since then, especially on the testing side of things but since then. It's funny. Know, we, we don't like,
1: so for example, House, my company, we build really high end, marketing creative sort of portfolio websites for people and like e-commerce and things like that so our coding challenge was build essentially like a home page with a menu that might open and close and a slideshow that -hmm. that was it right it it was very indicative of the work that we would do it wasn't like this abstract fizzbiz whiteboard (laughs) test or something like that it was build a thing that we're going to you're actually going to be doing (laughs) so we felt like the it was a one-to-one kind of Test there, but what we would do, and this is something that I think you should do as a as someone looking to hire someone, we would do like a multiple choice question before you could even submit your resume. So you had to answer four or five multiple choices, real easy stuff like what's the difference between position fixed and position absolute or whatever. And that was really effective because you could then filter all the resumes submitted by like who got five out of five on the test you know Hmm. and that straight away like you know we're hiring people that are supposed to be an expert at ui and they don't know the difference between like position absolute or position fixed yeah like then move on (laughs) so that was a good sort of i don't know if i'd call it a coding test but it was like a knowledge test and i I would really recommend that especially if you're hiring for a position where you expect you're going to get lots and lots and lots of applicants that's a really good idea
0: yeah, like I said, I'll get to that in a minute when I talk about being on your side of things. One of the other fun things I read, I ran into was an interview process. For the most part, when I did get to interviews, they were pretty, pretty straightforward. You know, talking about what you could and couldn't do, and what your experience and that kind of stuff. I had one interview that still rubs me the wrong way for a company here in the U.S. You know, they were and they were using Vue and Laravel. And at the time, I hadn't been exposed to Laravel at all. I knew what it was. You know, I'd been working in PHP for years, didn't know it. And that wasn't a concern. But a lot of the interview questions were some of the most arcane code related specifics about, you know, different types of inheritance and how you would do this and how you would do that. And why is this type better than this and so on. And I went through three interviews and did a fairly good job answering some things. And it was like, you know, groups on Zoom. Some of the stuff you know, I didn't know, all right, but and I didn't get the position, but I, I couldn't help thinking afterwards that none of those questions have ever had any impact on how I've done my job, on how I've written my code. If I've written it this way, I've written it that way. My experience having been at multiple places is there's going to be certain ways that your organization does things, whether it's do you use classes in JavaScript in JavaScript or objects, you know, are you using how is your how are your classes defined in Laravel and what tools do you use in Laravel ecosystem? How do you import your components in a view, other components in a view component? Do you do it dynamically or do you just use an import? It? whatever. There's all kinds of different things, but you've got standards and you sort of adjust to, to the way that your company's doing it when you come in, unless you're maybe starting something from the ground up and you have to make all those decisions. But I guess that comes back to one of my points is if you're going to interview somebody, make it on stuff that is relevant to their day-to-day job. What's the kind of stuff you're gonna be dealing with on a day-to-day basis? What's what's the kind of decisions you're gonna be making? Not stuff that that, you know, I guess if you can reply makes you sound important, but really has no impact on how you do your job on a day-to-day basis. And I'm looking at your face going, okay, he's gonna disagree with me here. <laughs> no,
1: no, that's totally but, true. It's totally true. And I we would I would go a step further with it, which is like like where we're obviously view view heavy but when we would ask people to do the coding challenges we wouldn't require that they would necessarily do it in view you know it depends on the on the position that we're hiring for you know if we were looking for someone that was more sort of senior and wanted to be more of a leader then yeah we wanted them to know view but a lot of the like junior and mid-tier developers that we hired if you were an expert at react we're pretty confident we can teach you view in a couple of weeks (laughs) you know view is like easy mode react so it wasn't that so with the coding challenges we didn't enforce view on anyone it was like because mm-hmm. of exactly what you said which is like you're going to come in we're going to have so we have our own style guides we have our own way of doing things and for us to expect that you can just like know those things it's not realistic so what i'm looking for is like good good behavior like good coding practices good like for example are you just like being consistent on things like indenting and single quotes versus double quotes. And like in the view world, are you using slots or are you using props or, you know, like, and is there any sort of rhyme or reason to what you're doing? Because what I'm looking for is like, is this person disciplined? Is this person consistent? Do they approach this like an engineer or do they approach this like a hacker? Because the hacker is the worst person you can hire, I think. Like, Uh depends on the job, right? Like, if you're looking for someone that can just, like, maintain anyone's code and, like, figure out anything, then cool. But if you're building something, you want, like, a person that has an engineering mindset, or at least that's my theory. So you wanted someone. I was looking for people that had approached this with some structure and some thought and they had organized their like files, you know, their components are all named correctly, or like named with some sort of logic. So did they take the time to just like run it all through ESLint or or Prettier, you know, those sorts of things. Like, if I run your app that you sent me, does it generate any kind of error messages, you know, these sorts of things, those aren't even like I, I like to say whenever I catch one of my team members that have done one of those mistakes, like these aren't like, Oh, you're the world's best programmer these are just like did you do the basics right mm. <laughs> and so focus on i think well you know my, everyone has their own criteria which is kind of the point of this discussion but my advice is like make sure you nail the basics mm. just get the obvious stuff done and you're already doing better than most for sure
0: so other than that there was nothing about the interviews that really stood out to me too much although there is one i remember so this is in the era of a lot of people working remotely for the first time just you know maybe they especially there's one company i I interviewed with and that was based in san francisco uh, that i recall but you had a lot of people working from home and didn't have all their spaces set up like they normally would i'm fortunate in that you know i started working remotely in 2009 And the house that I have, we specifically went looking for something with an office, a separate office at the time, because when I first started working remotely, I had a little 1200 square foot ranch house and I had two kids that were age like 10 and they were 10 and seven at the time. And my desk was in the middle of our kitchen slash dining room. And so when they were at school, it wasn't so bad. But during the summer when everybody's home, it was just brutal trying to work in the middle of all the chaos. And we're like, Okay, we need a bigger house. And so, you know, now I have my own office here and and from a isolation standpoint I can, you know, be up here by myself, although doesn't always stop everybody from barging in, but it's better. All this to say that there was one person I interviewed with who was a manager for uh, logging. I think I did some sort of logging, like log rocket type of company, and he was interviewed me via Zoom in his pajamas, sitting in his bed. So I was like, okay, maybe you're not used to this or not. It didn't strike me as the most uh, uh, professional thing, you know. I at least made sure to get out of my pajamas when I or put something on the upper half of me shall we say but that one made me laugh more than anything i still remember that and just like oh okay
1: yeah that's i mean what you're hitting on there is a good thing to think about when you're going through this process like you're also as a as a prospective candidate you're interviewing the company too (laughs) right so don't think that it's always about like oh i'm trying to impress these guys like are they impressing you so that's right. a good one. Like if that's what's happening, then what do you think is going to be like working for those guys? And maybe you you're into that. Maybe you're like, oh, this is casual. I'm this is going to be easy. But yeah, I, I would like to think that you you're uh giving off a bit more of a professional vibe than that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, now in terms of where I looked for jobs, I did a lot. I, I'm trying to think back. I did a lot on LinkedIn, and I know I got a lot of job postings off of LinkedIn. And Indeed, I know I look for a lot like Indeed in some of your bigger sites. Uh, there's another one, a ZipRecruiter, I think. And what's interesting from, from having posted or applied for jobs on there is years later, I'm still getting email <laughs> or job requests. Hey, we need this position filled, are you interested? From those times that I'm constantly hitting, okay, unsubscribe me from your list, unsubscribe me from list. And what's even funnier is uh, you can tell that they've got to be automated bots because I'm getting job solicitations for things like a business analyst, which I haven't done since early 2000s, administrative assistants or um, some other more physical ones that I'm like, when did I do that? Of course, being the JavaScript developer, you always get the Java developer positions that they see. So that's sort of funny. Even I got
1: one from LinkedIn. I think today even it was like a manager at Apple. And then I read the description
0: and it was to manage one of their stores. <laughs> oh <laughs> right. So yeah, I think I got a lot. And now the one that I eventually got, well, I got off of View Jobs, uh, which was where I'm at at GovTribe. But there I got a few off of there, I think. But but yeah, for the, a lot of LinkedIn, a lot of job boards, you know, and sometimes, you know, personal references. There was a couple I interviewed where people that I had worked with before had recommended me and said, Hey, check this guy out. And, you know, for differing reasons, they didn't pan out. Those yeah. ones are
1: the best ones, though. Like if you, yeah, if you can, and that's the advantage you have, just being older and knowing more people. You know, over like the privilege that we have, being in this industry for a while, It's like you know people. But as a big, as a sort of starting out, you can't, doesn't help you. But yeah, if you can get an intro, that helps a lot for sure.
0: Oh, I had one job. I'll never forget this. So speaking of that, I had, I was referred to this one guy by, I think it was by Chuck, the guy that you know, uh, top end devs at, manages this podcast. And it was a small company based here in the States. And they were like, yeah, we'd like you. Yeah, we want to bring you on, except for such, such reason, it's got to be August 1st or something like that. And then at some point I go to check in with them and find out that, oh, this old, old friend of mine from college that I've wanted to work for a while just came available. And so we're going to give him the position instead. And I was like, oh, yeah you gotta be kidding
1: <laughs> <laughs> on the other side of that for us hiring people we we've found we've used ZipRecruiter and I like ZipRecruiter a lot because it does allow you to do the screening questions huh. uh, and we got a lot of candidates there but or a lot of candidates from that like a couple of hundred if we if we were trying to hire for like a mid-tier developer I think we would get 200 applicants through ZipRecruiter so that that's good and then that's not super expensive either. Indeed we've used and I had like nobody like it was like six people maybe or something. We've used LinkedIn, we do a lot. That that's okay. Depends on the roles actually. Like in in certain industries you seem to get a better engagement with LinkedIn, like tech for sure, but like on the design side like nobody. We've done I think the the consistently the most interesting and best candidates come from Hacker News, like the who's hiring posts that go out on the 1st of every month.
0: Oh right, I hadn't those
1: those ones, that's a little, I'm giving away a little secret there because that's, those are good. Uh, and I'd hate to see those be like compromised with a bunch of like dad postings, but those are good. And-
0: So how's that work? I think what it is is they open up a thread and then you can comment and say, oh, okay, we're hiring for such and such a yep. thing, right?
1: Yep, yep. And it gets flooded with thousands of people looking for things or, pe- you, cause there's another one that's like, I'm looking for a job. And then there's another right. the one that's like, who's hiring? So mm-hmm. who's hiring on you? You get all kinds of interesting software jobs on there but it's kind of good because you can just open up all the all the pages in different tabs and just like command f and look for view jobs you know so it, it's pretty interesting that one i would say a thing i've learned from doing that is consistently you get people applying for jobs that they're not qualified for everyone applies above above what they're capable for no one applies below what they're capable of so if you're hiring like a mid developer you're only going you're going to get like 9 out of 10 junior developers applying for that role or like, if you're hiring for an advanced, you're gonna get a whole lot of mediums. So it's just a kind of an interesting thing to keep in mind yeah. when you're doing those things.
0: Yeah, I remember, oh, some of the other things I did was I would, you know, various Slack channels or Discord channels for, you know, different communities, like a view community, Laravel. A lot of times, at least on Discord and Slack, they will have like a jobs channel or a jobs room and you can either post, Hey, I'm looking for somebody or, Hey, I'm looking for work. This is what I'm looking for.
1: Yeah. Those are great too. Yeah. I've, I've hired freelancers through some of those Slack channels before, Uh um, which has always been useful. Like if you've got a specific tech stack you're dealing with for some little job, you, you can always find those communities and it's great. The best candidates I would say like the tippy top ones and the hardest ones to find have been people we've gone out and poached. So that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, but, how we would do that is we would have someone like for on the design side, we did this. We would have one of our designers go through and try and find a whole bunch of successful companies that are in our space and then find people that work at those companies that we felt like had a role that was probably, you're trying. we're trying to like match up like, oh, who built that website? You know, and we try and find out who did that and then try <laughs> and figure, like we find out the company because most of the companies will talk about what they did. And then we would try and figure out All right, who actually had that company worked on it, you know? And we would get a list. And the problem is you have to have, that has to be either, you know, like if it's a technical side, that has to be like a technical person that finds that, you know, it can't be like your intern is not going to be able to figure that out, you know. So we would then generate that list and then we would have one of our salespeople go and target those people and try and find their emails and email them and say, hey, like we saw this thing you did and we really liked you. And, you know, would you be interested in talking about changing co- employers, you know, and try and approach those people? Those are the best people. And either a friend of mine was a recruiter for Media Arts Lab, which is like Apple's in-house creative ad agency. And he, all he did was travel around meeting people, just accumulating a Rolodex of people so that whenever Apple needed something, he was like, ah, oh, I met this guy at this thing and he's the perfect dude for it. And that was his whole job. Mm-hmm. And their, his rule was, we only poach people. It wow. was, if you're unemployed, we're not interested. You know, We only want people that are working somewhere else. And that was just like brutal to hear. <laughs> and then as I've gotten, gotten to the point where I'm running a company and I have a whole bunch of employees, I, I'm scared. Of those people, <laughs> like don't, don't oh, poach right, my exactly. people.
0: <laughs> oh, I know, man. I uh, I get. I, I wonder what the logic is for that because I'm thinking, okay, I could be a great developer and could be unemployed at the moment because of something, yeah, you know, beyond my control. The company went under; they had money issues. Like whatever. The company and, got bought by viewing Air, and now you can't yeah. work there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that seems odd that they would have that. But uh, yeah, I had so when I was one of my let's see the second Drupal agency I worked for. This is back around 2010 to 2012. Our boss was very, very, the owner of a company, very temperamental guy. Part of the reason I was not working there much longer, <laughs> was very, very conscious of that and protective against that. And boy, if anybody tried to swipe one of his developers or something like that, he was on them like sticky on tape. Just be, And I, I had that happen to me where you know, the case, the standard case where you've got some sort of small business or somebody that wants a website done. And so they come to the agency and the the, the rate is just too expensive, you know, for an agency, you need to have such, such a rate. And they can't afford it, but then they'll approach the developer on the side and say, hey, I can't afford this, but would you want to do this for me on the side? And I, I was pretty, I wouldn't, I generally wouldn't do that partially because I knew how my boss was, but I mean, I can understand the scenario and what they're trying to do. You know, they only have so much money and they're trying to fund somebody to do the work for them. But at one point, my boss threatened somebody so bad that he was like shaking, he threatened to call the cops on him or something like that, all for just approaching me as a developer. And I was like, really? Yeah. No that's that, a bit over the top.
1: Yeah, that that's that's a bad attitude. Um, yeah, I I personally take the approach of you should wanna work for Funk house, not because I've given you no other option, right? Or, you know, you know, right. That's my you make approach. it so
0: they don't want to leave, you know, because otherwise you're always protecting against themselves, you know. Yeah, so you can't cool. worry about that stuff.
1: You just make it a good place to work, and that's the best you can do. Uh, I mean, this, all this non-competes and all that kind of stuff, and I just think it's a little oh. bit, it's a little bit the wrong incentives. But an interesting one that's kind of related, and we've dealt with, is clients poaching employees, like you were talking about, yeah. not like right. on a on a moonlighting like freelance. That basis on a like, hey, this person quit and now goes work for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, That one is a dangerous one and you can't do a whole lot about it. And I think there's a little bit of it's built into our industry, especially on these like long term jobs, you know like there's a a very common in the agency world to be like ah like i know an agency that does a lot of stuff for walmart and they they've got three agency employees that are based out of the walmart like headquarters in like wisconsin or wherever it is you know
0: well they're like arkansas in arkansas or yeah i don't know wherever it is
1: not not california but they're a california-based agency and they've got employees that live in the walmart office you know and it's like it's going to be pretty hard to like not have that person just work at Walmart one day (laughs) if they like working there you know so there's not sometimes you just can't do much about it but we've definitely had some awkward conversations with clients being like hey we know you just did this like it's going to make it tricky for us to continue working for us when you're just like raiding our people right those you can kind of protect against contractually and stuff as well like where you can make it like well I think what we ended up doing was building into our like contracts with our clients was if you poach one of our employees or they come work for you within a certain window, you owe us a recruiting fee.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> so. dude, let me taste. Oh, I won't get into the details of this story, but I had that happen to me where i left somewhere. It was by mutual agreement and it wasn't like I had been poached. It was, I knew I was leaving here and I had done a bunch of work for this client. I'd love them, had been a, been a fan of them for a while. And I contacted them and said, hey, would would you be interested in having me come on board? And they were like, oh, yes. And they had to up their offer to get me, you know, to match salary and stuff like that. And talk about one of these little contracts with non-competes. My old boss just flipped a lid and oh, it was a whole big mess. I'll never forget it. <laughs> I'll have to tell you off air about all the details. But yeah, that can get uh, quite, quite hairy for sure.
1: Yeah, I've definitely handled some of those things. I, I in, in hindsight, I wish I'd done them better. Not Not like people leaving, but like for being pushed or anything like that more just like people quitting after a few months or like quitting to start a competitor against us Uh,
0: oh yeah oh that's brutal
1: that's a it's brutal it's hard to it's hard to like be like oh we we you know we've had people that we've like relocated to, to california and six months later they quit to try and team up and start with some friends and start a competitor against us you know those sorts of stories uh and it's hard to I don't think that we've ever been like mean or threatening we've never done anything like that but definitely been like okay well today's your last day <laughs> like get your stuff and leave
0: oh yeah And then,
1: oh, and then, for sure. then being like shocked at, at the treatment and we're being like well like you're competing against us now like we're not going to have you continue to work here while you're starting a competitor <laughs> so you know th- but then right. there's people that have you know i'm in a really awkward position it. i have an identical twin brother who is a freelance designer and web developer, and he kind of does the same sort of—he does like cheap versions of what we do. <laughs> and he'll ah. he'll he'll admit that you know you get what you pay for. You know, they're not—he's definitely not as he's he, he's very talented, but he, he's way more of a designer than he is a developer. And um, but we have a good relationship over there We're brothers. It helps, but also like he he works for us sometimes and kind of gets gets the uh, position that he's in and uh, we send leads to him. And it kind of helps us sometimes because we, clients come to us, they can't afford us, like you said. And it's nice for us to be to like, hey, here's someone that we trust and is good, you know, that is an option for those clients. So you can leave in a company and have a good relationship. I've certainly got a lot of old employees that work for, for me in a freelance capacity. So I think it's important to keep good relationships with people that leave because you never know when that person might be able to help you in some way. So, you know, I think when someone from advice from an employer for employees leaving, it is much better to have that person leave on good terms than to be an asshole. <laughs> so yes. I think, uh, think of it like that way, especially what are some a little pro tip here, when it comes to like maintaining old websites or old projects, like we have projects, I was working on one the other day from 2016, The best person to work on that is the guy who built it, who probably doesn't work for you anymore. But would you be able to pay him 100 bucks an hour to fix it, you know, as like a freelance gig? Probably because that's easy money for that guy, you know, or girl. So that's a good, a good little tip, I think is like you can you can backfill the maintenance stuff with the people that used to do it. So keep a good relationship. Don't be an asshole.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together, that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years, and I never felt like I could, and then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club, and we're gonna read development-focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're gonna do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code, or some of the other stuff that Bob has done. Check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're gonna get on. He's gonna show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question, and then we'll just ro- rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on GatherTown. And so after the, the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to GatherTown and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup, and I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. And um you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next i have one in mind but i want to see where everybody's at so there you go when i was at
0: i was at a very large corporation here a few
2: years ago and we were
0: rebuilding this ancient site that was like we're put doing it in drupal and apache solar and some other stuff but the original stuff we were replacing was you know early 2000s and part of the reason that the project had urgency is that Microsoft was sunsetting support on a lot of these products because they were so old, like SQL Server 2000 and a CMS 2000, I think, is what it's called. Just and a lot of it was written in like classic first generation ASP, you know, not ASP.NET, just classic ASP, and so. I was tasked with having to interpret what the heck this code was doing, where it's getting the data in the database and, and on and on. And my boss said, would it help if we got the original developers in here? So these guys, it had been so long, these guys had retired <laughs> and uh, older guys in their 60s or something, but we brought them in <laughs> so they could look at the code. And, and some of the cases they're going, I don't remember what the heck I was doing here. <laughs> but other cases, they were able to provide a little of information. So it was... Uh, Yeah, it was helpful for what I needed to do for sure.
1: Earlier, Steve, you mentioned uh, recruiters and I'm curious what what your involvement with recruiters has been because I, yeah, I, I've got some some takes on that for
0: sure. So on the hiring side, when I got my first full-time Vue job back in 2019, it was through a recruiter and he had actually poached me from where I was. He had contacted me on LinkedIn and the what did they say? He said, well, we're looking for this and this. And we want experience with Java and Vue. And I don't remember the descriptions, but I, I replied and I said, well, I was I, because I was always getting, you know, messages and I just happened to reply and said, well, I really don't know Java. I'm not sure if that's a killer. He said, no, that's really for what you're going to be doing. It's really not an issue. It's just one of those things they throw in. And I ended up interviewing and, in, you know, and taking that job. And then I was there like exactly a year before we all got laid off. And I during that this time, I I had five to six other recruiters engaged, I think, but I rarely ever heard from any of them. And I think part of it was there weren't a lot of Vue developer type jobs out there. There were some JavaScript ones and I actually interviewed some that were like React and I said, hey, I'll learn React. I don't have a problem with it. And they decided that no, they wanted somebody that was a little more up to speed on React, which was fine. But my experience has been at least from my contact on that on that side of things was yeah, they were great people and, you know, they'd ask me questions and sometimes they'd throw things my way. Were you also
1: I, looking for jobs on your own, or were you just like, I've got a recruiter I'd just sit back
0: oh, oh, I was pounding the pavement, like, you know, the not the literal pavement the way it used to be, you know, we had to go around and classified newspaper and get jobs from the classified ads and go turn in resumes. No, I yeah. I, pro- I got more from my own work than I ever did from a recruiter. That one I did, but the job that I have now, I got through my own. It had nothing to do with a recruiter. So I've had sort of a mixed bag of success, shall we say. But again, at the time, looking at the, you know, the circumstances and the job market at the time, it was sort of understandable that I didn't have a lot coming my way. You know, it's funny when you see the same recruiter, different recruiters propose the same position to you too yeah which happens for sure but we, it's you know, on, on same, our, my experience on our
1: side of it we don't use recruiters we've used them a few times in certain roles mostly we have a development office in croatia and we've used recruiters there because we don't know as many people there obviously but in los angeles so just so people know the way the recruiters work from the company's point of view is that we have to pay It's negotiable, but it's somewhere between 15 and 20% of the yearly salary for that person. So if you're hiring someone at 100 grand, you're going to spend, you're going to have to pay the recruiter 15 grand to 20 grand the day you sort of sign them to a long-term deal. And some of them will have like a, a 90-day clause, like if that person quits within 90 days, that like you right. don't have to pay them or something like that. Right. But it's a big chunk of money. And so when you get into like senior roles in tech, where like in California, that can be 180, 200 grand salaries, more even, it's a big chunk of change that you have to pay. And so we like we we're a small company, we just can't afford it. So if you're working with a recruiter, just keep that in mind that you're only gonna get shown jobs that can afford it (laughs) so you're going to probably sort of pricing yourself out of small small companies by doing that you'll be looking to be working at big companies if you do that which may be great. That means they've got money and they can afford it and all those things. But you, certain things are going to come along with that in certain cultures, certain kind of work you'll be doing, you know, stuff like that. So just keep that in mind when you're working with a recruiter, but can also get you in some pretty good doors, especially big tech companies. All
0: right. The last thing I want to talk about from the hiring side is just consistency and being persistent. It's so demoralizing when you've been used to not having to work incredibly hard to find positions just because you were in a job market that had a lot of demand for your skills to going where you can't even get responses from 80 to 90% of the people that you send resumes to. You see, oh, I'd be great for this. I fit here because of this and this experience. I applied for one at a very well-known tech company for a DevRel type position. And I've done, over my course of my career, I've done lots of training, lots, I've done speaking, I've done lots of written communication and stuff. So I thought I had a pretty good background for it. And the person running the DevRels at the time is a very well-known person in the JavaScript community who's jumped around to a few different companies, but I never even got a sniff. And I was recommended by another very prominent member <laughs> or given the information by another prominent. So I was sort of really bummed about that because I thought it'd be great. But my point is, you know, you got to keep knocking. <laughs> you know, I guess it depends, depends on how bad you need or want a job. And in my case, with a family to support, I had to find the jobs. And I was doing this on top of doing, you know, I still had bills to pay, I still had a family. And so I was doing contracting work. So I'd be contracting like, you know, full time during the day and then having to pound the pavement, the tip pavement, pavement outside of that, you know, just to find a job. So, but I, it took me, what did I say? Six months, six months or so to finally get this job and this one I got through a posting on View Jobs, which was interesting. Now, what was interesting about this one is that at the time, if you looked at developers, React far in the way, the highest in demand skill. You know, if, if you wanted a react position, they were a dime dozen. They were out there all over the view, not so much. And so when I interviewed with my bosses, Jay and Nate, one of the things they told me was that I was They had interviewed a bunch of people, but I was the first one to come along that really had Vue experience. And almost everybody else was a React developer who'd been playing around with Vue because they liked it, but really hadn't done anything on their own yet. So I was fortunate to find this and I actually had the Vue Vue, uh, Vue chops was the way they put it. And then I started here.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. The consistency thing is, you just reminded me, it's like we have a job posting out right now, Funkhouse does for a a mid-tier developer. And probably i I haven't even looked at any of the applicants, and it's been up for like a week and a half just because got dragged into rescuing a whole bunch of client projects and you know visa renewal came up and I had to jump on it like just stuff gets in the way, especially small businesses. so it's not the point of that is like not that I'm terrible at my job uh, <laughs> is that don't take it personally. It yeah. might not even be that they even looked at your. The, right. your application or that something came along or who knows what you know so it's not about you necessarily it's just about how it works and especially in the the remote world i'm curious steve we should talk about like what goes into a good resume and i'm curious oh, about yours. oh well, yeah we'll what, get there what, yeah but um in the remote sort of world that we've all moved into now like the the amount of applicants they get too can be just insane like it could yes. be thousands of people applied like even if we put a job posting out that's like must be based on a certain yeah, we, we're not going to say California anymore because it's more going to be like time-based, but like you must be on this time zone or something like that. Mm. You're still going to get 400 developers apply from from India or yes. uh, different oh. parts of the world that you're just so like n- not even like, oh, close to the same time zone, you know, yeah. or even I would say even like kind of worse and it's more annoying is, is like dev shops applying for a, a role, uh. like <laughs> – Please, dev shops out there, please stop doing that. You, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm looking to hire a, a person, not 10 people that don't even really work for me. <laughs> right. Uh, so, right. yeah, so there's a lot that goes into it that's not really about about you when you're applying for those things.
0: Right. That's for, you know, you see a lot of posts. I see blog posts. I see emails about how for an HR person, you know, if they're just getting deluged, you know, a lot of times they'll have some sort of automated system that's weeding resumes out or you know picking the ones that they want and so you'll see a lot of tips on how to write a resume with so that'll get picked up by these bots and that you know as someone who reviewed resumes individually that just drove me nuts you could sit you could tell a keyword resume that was written just for the purpose of getting past those types of filters
1: oh let's let's talk about resumes i've got some strong yeah.
0: opinions on these so when I, now when i started hiring this is last november we were hiring. We had initially wanted one and then we got approved for about three positions and we wanted a view in laravel developer just because that's what we do every day true full stack both front-end and back-end and any given ticket i'm working on both sides of the app of our front-end application and uh you know some mongo thrown in there as well but So we word up a pretty good uh, description. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about job requirements, about people apply above what they can do. And that's typical. I would do the same thing. You know, I think from a most employer know that, you know, when you fill out job requirements, generally, you're going to have your must haves and your nice to haves. And you know that you're it's going to be hard. I think the rule I've heard is if you can find somebody that matches everything you've described, you usually can't afford them. And so you know, as a someone looking, I know that I'm gonna get people that don't have everything, but I'm sort of looking for certain things, right? And so we put it out there, we happen to use ADP as a platform. And so our base job application was there. But we would put links to it elsewhere and say, okay, here's the job like on view jobs. Um, I know I put one out on like on Valerie Karpov, the Mongoose maintainer. He has a Mastering JS, he has a job board. I put something there and like view jobs. And then I would go into a lot of these communities, Laravel and View and, and Nuxt and Changelog at, you know, all these different places and say, hey, I got a job posting here. And I was getting some applicants and then I asked our HR, hey, can you put it on Indeed? Whew, I got flooded. And what was interesting was what you just mentioned about people outside of your time zone or, or continent. We had our requirement for location just to be located in the US. Anywhere from West, you know, West Coast to East Coast, didn't matter. We just wanted to in the US. But we got so many people applying from, you know, in you know, the Middle East or Asia, or, you know, India, like you mentioned, to get a lot from Africa and various places. And we put in some filtering. In the job application, are you registered to work in the U.S.? Are you physically located in the U.S. and so on? And that would filter some of them. And I knew I knew how many I'd get because they would submit something on ADP, and I would get a notification email. But then I'd go and look, and they weren't actually there in the queue, and that was because they'd been filtered out because they weren't they weren't eligible. So Indeed was where I got a lot, and in the end, and then we also used a recruiter. Now this is what's interesting, and I put out a post about this. We initially had one recruiter, and the first guy. Ghosted us. We actually had a recruiter ghost us. You know, he was giving us things, and all of a sudden, we couldn't get a hold of him. I don't know if we ever found out what happened to him, but he just. Quit answering, and we didn't know if he got fired or you know something. But we never got a communication. Hey, this guy's not working for us anymore. Here's a new guy. So we went back to that agency. And said, Hey, we haven't heard from this guy. Do you got somebody else? And so they gave us a new guy, and he would bring me positions. And he gave us a few candidates, and I'd go through the interview process and stuff. But nothing, never really got any really good ones. And then another department within our company another division. They had a recruiter. They said, Oh, this gal's awesome. Use her. So I got all the approvals and got a contract signed and went through her. And we eventually found one through her and she was really good. She was one that had worked in HR companies for 15 years or something like that. So she sort of knew both sides of it. And she gave me some really good, some really good ones. And the nice thing about the recruiters, is that you can tell them? I actually gave them some screening questions at one point because they were sending me people that really didn't didn't have some of the basic skills, and I finally said, "Hey, can you just ask them some of these questions? And if they can't answer them, then you know I don't want to talk to them." And so that was sort of how we did some of the screening questions on our end. Now, the way we did the process was we would do, you know, if I got an interview, say I got somebody that I liked on Indeed or a recruiter gave me somebody that, hey, that I would like, and I would have an interview with them, generally took about an hour, and I would try to feel them out just to get a, that's not literally, you know, just to get an idea of their skills, their background, why were they looking for a change. So you on. just
1: coordinate that via email, like,
0: hey, on Tuesday yeah. at 11 o'clock. Yeah, this. I, had, I yeah. got like a staple email. hey, we saw your resume, we'd like to talk to you about this position, what's your availability? And we'd set up a time and, and do it over Zoom. And so I had a list of technical questions that I would ask them. And very basic stuff, some Vue specific, some Laravel stuff like, what are the main three parts of a Vue single file component? In Laravel, what is, questions about things like controllers and resources and how you define a route. You know some just super high level basic stuff that anybody who's saying yeah this is what I can do could answer. And then if I thought yeah these were good, we'd like to uh, we'd like to send them down the line. You know keep going. So we had a code test. Now the way we so do you
1: right. So Steve, you would do like a one hour kind of meeting yeah. and and just shoot shoot the shit kind of and get an idea yeah. of what they could do. Yeah, and just yourself one on one.
0: Yep, just me. And I then go there, into a coding test. Yeah. Now the coding test, we used a platform and I went back and forth with my boss on this just because of my past experience with coding test. and he really wanted to do it and it's called, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it. I ingrained in my brain for so long. It's like leak code type of uh, application where you can, they have like a whole pool of questions that you can choose from and create your own custom tests. Uh, Test Dome, that's what it is, it's called Test Dome. And they're okay, like I said, I wasn't a real big fan, but my boss really wanted to do it. And so what we did was we had six questions, two plain JavaScript, two Laravel, and two Vue specific. And they're pretty basic things like, you know, changing the color on a link dynamically, you know, writing a class that does certain things and so on. And so then we set a passing score of 50%. And so if they could do this test and, and get at least 50%, okay, they're good. And we'd go back and look at it and see what they did or, or didn't do. And if that was good, then we would just second interview with myself and my boss, Jay. And in the second interview, he would do most of the talking because I had already been doc- talking the first time and he would get into some more lower level stuff on Laravel side and on the Vue side with how would they do things and just basically gauging their familiarity with the tool and that filtered out a lot of times the first interview i'd filter people out the code test would filter out a bunch and then we'd get some filtered out in the in the second interview too and so we ended up getting after a few months we ended up getting two two really really good guys uh, really good people that we really like and have had for a few months now but some of the some of the stories some of the things i ran into through the process are just hysterical make me laugh we had The first interesting one, though, talked about ghosting, was we had this guy that we really liked. He was super friendly. He was ex-military, had a lot of good, seemed to have a lot of good coding experience. And so we got to that we're all ready to make this guy an offer. And all we want to do is check some references. So he gives us some references, but they're from like way back, like five, six years ago. And he's had two or three jobs since this time, which isn't, you know, atypical from a developer standpoint. And I said, hey, these these res- these references were good, but we'd like to get a couple more recent. Uh, do you have anybody a little more recent, maybe from these positions? Nothing. He completely dropped us. Completely ghosted us after that. And we were like, okay, you know, we figured maybe there was something in his more recent past he didn't want us to know about, or you know, been fired or something like that. Who knows? I didn't know, but that. So between the recruiter and the recruitee, we had two people <laughs> ghost us. We had another guy that we got into the second interview. And he was, he was Indian, I'm pretty sure, just from his accent and appearance or, you know, lived on, in Asia. And we're going through. And so he passed the code test and did pretty well. And my boss tends to be a lot more skeptical than I am. And so he's looking through the code test. And one of the things you can see is how long it took him to answer each question. It was designed, it should have taken, I think there was a cap of like two hours or something like that. And a lot of people didn't even need all of that. And on one of the questions, it took him, if you look from start to finish, it was like, a minute or two minutes, and I hadn't noticed that. And, and he's like, do you see how long it took him to do this? Now, if he had typed that out by himself, he could not have done it in that amount of time with the amount of code that was involved and what was actually there as the answer. And so he starts Googling around and sure enough, he finds a gist on GitHub with the answer for this, question so basically he had copy pasted it so then oh, okay so then we're talking to him and and we've gone through all the code stuff and he's like yeah yeah i can do everything you need yeah whatever and my boss starts asking about where he lives and he supposedly lived in new jersey i think was the address he'd given us so you live here yeah, yeah i live here and he would asked him a couple more questions all of a sudden he dropped and never came back never heard from him again so we figured that the game was up and he was trying to to pull one over on us for sure I've another guy it. that i interviewed yeah. Where through the first interview, where I just, I was like, he was very, I would like, say, cocky, really arrogant. And I was like, after about five minutes, I was like, okay, no, sorry, this guy's not coming across good at all. I'm, I'm not even going to spend any more time on it. And I went through a few more questions, you know, just to be polite and said, thank, we'll let you know. But, you know, I could tell within about two minutes.
1: <laughs> and then do guy's... you send an email to the people or do you, do you let the people know that, like, hey, we're not going to be moving forward with you?
0: Yes, I do. I'm just that's one of the things that will drive me nuts is somebody not communicating or go, you know, letting me know where I, hey, what's going on? What's going on? So I always let people know, hey, we decided to move forward in a different direction or, you know, however you want to wordsmith it. But yeah, I'll always communicate because to me, you know, that's one of one of the items on my list of things not to do when you're hiring is to not communicate because it's just, it's just unprofessional. We had one guy that I was interviewing, super nice guy, had some good skills, it seemed like, and the call got dropped in the middle of it. And this is, you know, we're doing it over Zoom. And he emailed, emailed them later and he's like, oh, sorry, uh, there's some guys doing some construction work in my neighborhood and they cut a fiber line in my neighborhood. Oh, okay, well, you wanna set up a second time? Yeah, sure, so we set up a time. He doesn't show up, and I emailed him like, "Dude, what's up?" He says, "Yeah, I'm still interested." I was like, nah, forget it at this point if you're not, you know, going to show up, if you're not interested, then I'm, you know, I'm not going to waste time on you." But then one of the best ones, the last story I got was uh, interviewed a guy, liked him, you know, sent him the code test. And the way it works is you you go and add them on Test Dome, and it sends them an email says, "Here's a link to take the test. You have so many days to get it done, and then Test Dome will send you an email." After a certain time that says, "Hey, he has or hasn't taken the test yet," and so this guy hadn't taken the test, and so I followed up with him, and and he what well, he wrote back, and I wish I'd saved the email, but he basically said, "Hey, I want you to know that Jesus is Lord, and He's going to come back again soon, and and something else," and I said, "Okay." <laughs> I'm not sure what that is to the job, but thank you for, for sharing. You know, not that I disagree with you or anything, I just don't understand why that was relevant to here. And I'm not gonna take this code test for some reason. Okay, that goes up on my list of really weird responses to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to interviews. So so yeah, the guys that we we did hire, um, interestingly enough, we're both foreign nationals that live here in the States, but, and it's been fun because I uh, get to practice some of my foreign language skills with them, but both really great guys. And one was off Indeed, and one was from a recruiter. Now, it was interesting enough The the one-off Indeed, you know, I just had a ton of applicants through there. And I would go through and filter them out and mark them as, yeah, I want to interview. No, I don't, you know, for whatever reason. And I actually had him in my second tier. So I had like a first, I sort of had a group of first year people. Yeah, these are the ones that I like the most. And then I had a, a second tier group of, yeah, I'll, I'll look at these if none of the first ones work out. I eventually got to this guy. And once I interviewed him and talked to him, I was like, oh yeah, I really like him. And And once my boss interviewed him, he was like, yeah, this guy's good. Yeah, we really liked him, and we ended up hiring him. But it was funny that he wasn't in my top tier list, but he ended up being one of the best, one of the best candidates that we had for sure. That's it's interesting that
1: because we, I've hired, a, I hired a guy that or like the, one of the last guys we hired actually. He got five out of five on the multiple choice questions, and so it made me think like, do we even need to do the rest of it, or do we just should we just like whoever got five out of five, you know, just like focus on those guys? It's just interesting to think about. You know, like uh, Malcolm Gladwell did that great podcast on uh, revisionist history just about like hiring and, and and versus the LSATs, I think. You know, I mean, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, I really recommend listening to it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his whole sort of takeaway is like, you can't predict the future. There's no correlation between, you know, these things. So just pick someone, <laughs> which is kind of interesting because I've definitely had uh, the, the best programmers that have ever worked for me. One guy just walked in the front door of our office and was like, I've been following you guys for a long time. I love the work. I he, I've, I'm a junior, but I you know just sort of had the right attitude. And he worked for us for a long time and was grew into like a phenomenal developer. And then another guy was you know out of Ithaca College and took classes at Cornell and was like computer science and machine learning. It was like textbook. Like this guy's got the right background for it. it's going to be good. You know. And so it can come from anywhere really. So the point there is like. Yeah, it can be the first year, it can be the second year, it can be the guy that we walked off the street. <laughs> it's kind of hard to know for sure.
0: Yeah, generally now, well, one of the things that we did was we we put weight on internal recommendations. So if if like one of the one of our good people had somebody, hey, I think this guy might be good. We'd give we would give them a shot, and we actually had one come through that way as a young guy. He, he didn't have any view experience. Or Laravel, he was, I think he had like a React and Node background, if I remember correctly. Super nice guy, willing to learn, had nothing against him at all. And we actually went back to him because we hadn't had anybody in a while. And we were like, hey, he's a known quantity. So let's, you know, we'll bring him along, you know, as a junior and, and can help train him up that way. It didn't work out. Part of the reason was his communication, but he was in Europe for like the whole summer. I think it was in Romania or somewhere around there. And then he never got back to me when he got back. But we would have given weight to a known quantity with lesser experience. um, Yeah. For sure. So we our process
1: is sort of similar. It's a little different. We put put together a job posting and my business partner, Nick, is really good at company culture stuff. And so our job postings, I think, have a a lot about that. And we try and kind of pre-screen a little bit in the job posting and hope that people read it Mm-hmm. Cover letters, you know, I you know you hate writing. They make a big difference for sure. Mm-hmm. Like reading a good cover letter. Like if you write a one, if you just write a cover letter that is somewhat like customized to the job posting in our company, you'll get you'll get looked at definitely mm-hmm. because most people don't. So mm-hmm. you'll get looked at. And then if you're in, when I look at resumes, I'm looking for relevant work experience, and I'm not, I'm gonna be real skeptical if your resume has, like you said. 50 keywords, <sighs> um, like the, the classic, I, I swear what's going on, there must be some boot camps out there that like give people this resume template because you see it all the time. And here's like the biggest red flag, top of the resume will be like s- s- skills and the skills will be like view, react, spelt, no JS, uh, Postgres, like <laughs> it'll just be like the world's best programmer. And it, it, you're like, okay, so I know what you've done is you went to a boot camp, and you built a website that used like 10 of these things, and your your knowledge is like one centimeter deep on all
0: of these things. You, jack of all trades, master of
1: none. Not even, I mean, you not even a jack of all trades, like just a I've I've you know seen the sticker or whatever. It's just like the worst. Anyway, so those kinds of things are like pointless. Do not do that. <laughs> Definitely be specific. Like I'm really good at this, these four things, you know, or these three things. And then don't even mention the other ones. Like, if you're applying for a view job, don't put jQuery on your resume. Like it's not, <laughs> it's just not relevant. And it makes me sort of question like, wait, what What are you even applying for here? Education. I think everyone's got like a different opinion on this, but not important. I don't think like no. I'm not looking to see what you went to college for really. And if you, I would say, even if you went to college for something not tech related, it can mm-hmm. also be a negative, you know, like if your college is like I was went, I studied music, like mm-hmm. I've got three dudes that work for me that have come out of the music industry. <laughs> but I would see that as a negative, a little bit of like, okay, well, especially if it's like a junior job, it's like, oh, I don't know if this guy even really knows what he wants to do, you know? So maybe don't mention that you went to school and you have a bachelor's degree or something, but don't get hung up on like all of your music achievements. I don't think it makes a difference, but your experience totally. And what I like, if you, again, if you're applying for a junior role and you don't have any um, experience because you're you're new to this, well then what I want to see is like Stack Overflow profile. Like, have you like it's free and easy for you to go on Stack Overflow and answer a bunch of questions. Like, do that. What's your GitHub profile? And don't just go on there and like clone a whole bunch of other repos and like have them living in there. Like, write some stuff, deploy some code, show me that you actually can get something up on Netlify or Vercel or something like that. Like, these are easy things that you can do, not just like a generic to do app. Just build something i have a code that i can see that would help a lot too and then references absolutely but those don't come in until later like re- good references don't really like get your resume looked at that just like will help seal the deal if we like you um, oh
0: yeah i would never understand why people would put them on a resume you know yeah. because i mean the point of the resume isn't to get to get you the job is to get you the interview right exactly basically to get you to help make you stand out from everybody else that's that's applying I saw and great, so,
1: um, great advice on, I think it was on Hacker News about that, about like, don't lead with your education. Like, there's this yes. tendency to be like, oh, I'm just going to go chronological, you know, like I did this, then I did this, you know, and then like your experience, make sure that like the most recent experience is at the top of the page, because that's really what people are going to be looking for. Like skills, like what can you do? What code have you written? Where have you worked? What projects have you done? Education is last. Like there's a, there's an argument to be made that like, don't even put don't put years on your resume. Like, you know, uh, I studied this in this course in 2001 because it kind of, it can date you, which is like not helping you or and also serves no, don't give people reasons to kind of like, uh, you know, discriminate against you, I guess. Like th- there's no, no reason, right? So that's the resume stuff. So then we we would filter through the resumes and, and a lot of the times it'll be me doing it because I think you really want, like we're hiring technical roles. You'll have a technical person read it. So if you're listening to this podcast, like Steve knows what he's doing. I know what I'm doing. We're reading your resume. So you can't really like cheat. Like you can't say, like I said, if you say like, oh, I'm an expert at Vue, React, Spelt and jQuery, we're going to know like, oh, that's a little bit strange. You know, having said all that, I'm very good at jQuery as well. <laughs> so, like, But anyway, then we what I would do, and this is a little bit different and a recruiter once was like horrified that I told him that I do this. I will just call you out of the blue. I would just be like, I like this person. And I'm just, your phone number's on your resume. I'm just going to call you and see how you respond. Like, what happens? Do you answer the phone? If you answer the phone, are you polite? Are you like thrown off guard? when I'm like, hi, it's Drew from Funkhouse. Do you apply for a job here? I just want to have a quick chat about what it is, you know, you're doing. And that call is going to go for like 10 minutes. And it's really just going to be me. How do you communicate? Are you good if you're caught off guard? like, just more about like, what are you like as a person? And I try and like filter it. Re- quickly like yeah so w- w- what are you looking for like what what happened why are you available like what happened to your old job what is the work you like to do what do you like not doing what's the kind of company you like to work for these kind of questions not like hey what tell me what a directive is in view you know it's very like what what do you like as a person and what are you looking to do because one of the things that we're always looking for is like a cultural fit and a personality fit that's the first thing After that, then it's like, can you actually do the job? But like starts with like, am I going to want to sit next to this person for eight hours a day? And you know, those sort of things. So if that little phone call goes well, then I'll generally end that with like, hey, like, um, you know, sounds like you'd be a good fit. And I think you'd like what we do. I'd like to get you in for a meeting with myself and some one of my other partners. And that first meeting would be An hour-long meeting and that would generally be me and another partner at at the company which would be my partner nick and nick's not technical at all so he's really going hard on like personality fit and how does this person answer questions and do they seem to know what they're talking about you know that's his kind of he's he's more of like the vibes guy and i'm i'm definitely like not being like mean but i'm being a little bit of the bad cop of like cool great can you do this tell me about like this because i'm like thinking like if you screw this up i'm the one who has to like rescue this project (laughs) or whatever it is so i'm asking that like tell me about this and for for us it's weird the thing that i'm like i think is a really good barometer of like is this person going to be productive for us is css what do you know about css because that is the thing that most people like you can be a really good view developer and really never have touched CSS, you know, like you could be like, I'm just using bootstrap on everything. Mm, you know? I resemble that remark. <laughs> and that's just, that's just specific to our use case. That does not a comment on like, you don't know what you're doing. It's just like, we need, we custom CSS all the way on so many things. And it's, it's tough. So a lot of questions around that. And that, these are just quick, just questions. I'm not having you do any whiteboarding or anything like that. And if that one hour meeting goes well and we feel good at the end of it we'll ask you to do a code test and that, or code challenge. And and that won't be like on the spot. I'll say, I'm going to email it to you. And we would do something, again, I just tried to make it much more a one-to-one of the work that you'll be doing. So it was, and and if you're interested, people, you can go on Funkcast's GitHub repo and you can see this, it's called a technical, te- technical assessment. And I would have, there's a few different levels on there. We have like a level one and a level two for different advanced or... or junior or mid-tier developer positions and it would be a it's basically a micro website build a microsite so there's a link to fonts and an xd file and and can you build this and the requirements are pretty loose like you don't have to do it in Vue. you can do it in just regular html just hard code the whole thing i'm just looking to see what you know what you don't know uh, and and your, your good habits, bad habits, stuff like that. And uh, if the code challenge goes well and we look at it again, like I said before, I'm going to give some negative feedback. I'm going to give some positive feedback. I'm going to ask you to change some stuff, but I actually don't, we don't ask them to like do, you know, revisions. I'll say, you know, like, hey, like, did you realize like you could use the spread operator here instead of something that you did with arrays? And you see if they change it, if they take some pride to be like, I wanted to do that the right way. That's a good indication of like, oh, this person actually like has some professional pride, not just like I'm doing the bare minimum to get this job. Because that's, it's it's a cliche of like, so why do you want to work here? You know, and you're like, this is the 10th interview I've had this week. Like, I'm not passionate about any of this yet. So I get, like, I get it. But at the same time, like, I kind of want to know that you, you care, <laughs> maybe not about this job, but just at least about being good at what you do. I'm a big, big fan of like, did you do the homework? Have you, have you got some professional pride in this job? Do you want to be a really, really good programmer? Those are the people I want to hire. Not like, eh, you know, this just pays the bills and like, i just am so happy to like clock in and clock out. Like that's the worst person to hire, I think. But it's, you know, different, different roles, different companies, things like that, just for us. Yeah. So then if that goes well, then, then we will um say, hey, like, we're really impressed. We want to make you an offer and we'll give you a written uh, job offer, which is just a one page. Here's the role that we're asking you to do and here's sort of your key responsibilities that we're going to judge you against in the future. Uh, And here's the salary and compensation and stuff like that. And that's sort of how it goes. The whole process can take a couple of weeks per person. Uh, And we generally will have one, like ideally we have the one person we want and then maybe like two people that we would fall back on if then we couldn't get to a deal with the first person. That's a good scenario to be in. But you know, when it gets real competitive, you might just have the one person. So Steve, I think maybe a good place to finish is like, what happens after that negotiation, and and I'm curious if you have got any good stories about about that. I've got some good ones.
0: No, actually, I want to go back and some of the. I think you're stealing some of my thunder, <laughs> but you know some of the points you mentioned about the resume and how you present yourself. You mentioned the guy that you know lists twenty different areas of ex- quote unquote expertise, and I had I had a guy like that, and he listed. You know, some of the things you'll see on resume is, you know, levels of skill. And then you'll see where they list certain areas like frameworks, like Node, React, Vue, Laravel, PHP, CSS, anything they can think, jQuery. And then they'll give themselves a level of expertise. You know, on a one through five, I'm a three or I'm a five or something like that. Okay, I don't know what that tells me. It tells me what you think about yourself. But I had one guy that listed, it must have been 15 to 20 different areas. and every single area, he rated himself an expert. And so at the beginning of the interview, I asked him, specifically about that. I said, you list all these things and you claim that you're an expert. How can you be an expert in all of these things? That takes a lot of time. Oh, no, I'm really good. I'm an expert in this. And so I said, okay. And so I started going through the view questions and some of the basic view stuff he couldn't answer. And that was one of the things that he was an expert in. And his reasoning was, well, I work in different things and it's been a few months since I worked in view, so I can't remember all that stuff. Like, "Eh, okay. And I I don't think he got past the first interview. But to your point, you know, I just want to reiterate, tailor it to what they, if I need Vue and Laravel and Mongo, I really don't care if you're good at jQuery or if you're good at Node.js. You know, I use Node.js to start at my web server, you know, for Webpack, that's it. <laughs> so I don't need somebody that's good at Node and can't do Laravel or Vue. I need somebody that's good at these things and this is why. But, and then like you said, you said about listing things that are way back. You know, I don't really care that if you were in the honor society in high school, or you know, something like that, I want stuff that's going to tell me, yes, you can do the job that I need you to do. That's it. And if you have all these other things, now to play devil's advocate, what that could mean is that they're willing to learn new things and they've tried many things to learn them, which means they're willing to learn for you. So that's not, not all a negative, but if I have a big list of competitive things, I'm going to filter out the people that are going to be able to come in and hit the ground running best versus somebody that i'm going to have to train up and on, and show on how to that
1: note on that note if you're present on social media you should put all your accounts to private while you're looking for a job or yes. <laughs> unless you're unless you're unless you're proud of it like unless you've 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 put some thought into this and your like instagram profile isn't you you know on spring break going crazy in mexico <laughs> you know or like <laughs> you know you posting your thoughts on the last election you know one way or the other (laughs) you know it's just like it's not going to help you unless you know you've thought about it or you're 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 fine being judged on that because we have definitely not hired people based on like their instagram profile like looking Mm -hmm. at it and being like this person making some judgments on it you know yes so or twitter or whatever it is so unless you you're confident about that you know like my instagram account's public. And I'm totally fine with that because I know it is. And I've thought about it, but a lot of people, especially if you're like applying for a junior role and your last four years have been you in college, you haven't actually thought that much about, Oh, what's this going to look like when I apply for a job? (laughs) So just keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, my Twitter I tend to keep to dad jokes and tech. I will throw in a couple of things here and there once in a while. But yeah, I keep it pretty tame for that reason.
1: The, the expert congrats. thing that you said too, we I don't expect people to know everything, you know. Like even even I don't know everything, you know. And like I'm right. sure if I was applying for a, a view job and I could get asked questions that I wouldn't know for sure. It's more about how you respond to that scenario, you know, uh-huh. and saying like, oh, well, it's been a while since I worked and I can't remember. That's a bad answer. You know the answer is like, well, I don't really know the that off the top of my head. But here's how I would solve it: I would look here. This is a really good resource. You know, I've done something kind of similar before with this. You know, those like show, show me how you think, show me how you study, show me how you do your homework. Those are the 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 things that make you an expert developer. Is like you well, know you
0: know that brings it. to mind something. The other thing is, you know, a lot of developers, including myself, and so this is one reason I'm sympathetic: are self-taught. They didn't go through a boot camp, even a boot camp they didn't go through computer science. They learned on their own while they were doing another job. That was how I first got into PHP and MySQL back in the day was side projects and staying up late at night working on stuff. And, and that was how I got hired And my very first full-time developer job is because I had Drupal modules, you know, same as WordPress plugins that they could look at and see. And I actually beat out another guy who ended up getting hired later because of my code and things that I had done. But I made an effort. And I say that because I had one guy, he was a young guy, and he had some decent development experience, but none of it was review and Laravel. And his whole thing was, hey, I want to learn, I'm willing to learn. And so I asked him, well, what have you done? Have you taken any courses, online courses? There's a plethora of them out there. Have you done any side projects? Have you played with it? Have you actually gotten in and gotten your hands dirty, so to speak? And he hadn't done anything. And that one came through a recruiter. And so I Gave the recruiter some feedback to pass on to him that says, you know, if you want to get in and learn something, you need to show that you've made an initial effort to learn it outside of it. You don't have to be an expert, but just at least showing an effort to learn it if that's what you really want to get into totally
1: i've interviewed some people that have applied for junior roles that have you know like one i remember one guy worked for like it's a different country but he worked for essentially that country's irs right and Mm. he's like i hate it i went to school you know i went to school for economics and and it turns out that i hate working here and i would love to be a programmer like my friend who's a programmer you know Mm. and it's the same thing to you it's like okay cool but like i could hire someone that spent four years studying this at school or i could hire you who's studied something else in school and has so far done nothing other than looked at his friend that is in tech and makes money, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> so you kind of need to, if you if you haven't gone to school for programming, actually, I don't think anyone that currently is in my engineering team had went to school for, for CS or anything. So it's like very common, but you need to have, to your point, you need to have put the effort in, you know? Right. Show me four years of effort.
0: <laughs> right, right. So we're going way long here. So let's sort of wrap it up. I'm talking about offers, negotiation, and stuff like that. What's your thoughts on negotiating, not only salary?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, you can negotiate yourself out of the offer, <laughs> uh-huh. and and not in a because they can't afford me, but in because you've like my my business partner Nick tells a great story of a friend of his that like just negotiated so hard that they were like, "Guy, we don't want to deal with you." <laughs> right. So, and it wasn't wasn't about salary. It was just like this guy's a pain in the ass, you know. And so. Be careful, you know, saying that, like be careful when you push back really hard on these things. Salary absolutely is important. And we're the whole, you know, if, if I didn't get paid, I wouldn't work here. So like okay. everyone, you know, everyone understands that. Some, some bosses, especially in like small businesses and stuff, don't get that. And actually, in, recently in the news, there seems to be a lot of like, oh, we're going to, I need you to go, I need programmers to be in hardcore mode and put in long hours. You're going to get paid the same. And by the way, I'm filthy rich. <laughs> Who wants to do the job? I would definitely have been the, one of the people that was like, why? <laughs> but anyway, so yes, my salary is important for sure. But you'd be really surprised about how people don't, neg- like from my perspective, don't negotiate on anything else. Like it's just the straight up, they're like, I want to get paid X. Right. And that's it. But everything else is negotiable. Like
0: like what? Give me an example.
1: Well, how about instead of paying, like, okay, let's say the job offer is just to make the numbers easy, 100 grand. Yeah. year mm-hmm. right instead of being like oh i want to get 120 well what about oh, i'll do it for 100 but i want five weeks vacation or oh, i want to finish early on fridays instead or oh, i'll do it for 110 but i can't start for another month and a half you know or whatever right like those plenty of those things that you can negotiate on and now we're in the remote world it's like i want to be remote x amount of time you know maybe it's Full time, and that doesn't matter. But certain roles will definitely be wanting you in a location at a certain time. Or like, yeah, I'll do this role and I'll do it for what you're asking for, like a hundred grand. But just so you know, I'm going to be in Europe for three months of the year, you know, and you have to deal with the time zone. Or and I will do all these things to make that fine. I will work late my time so that it doesn't disrupt you guys. But just so you know, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, there's plenty of things that you can negotiate for, and especially in in our remote world now there's a lot of different ways to to play that. So so just think about what makes you happy and it's not necessarily to get paid more and work harder. You know, there's a combination.
0: Well, I guess it's going to depend on the size of the company. You know, if you're a smaller agency like yourself, then obviously you've got a lot of more fluctuate. But if you're in a, you know, could be a huge multinational corporation or a bigger company, maybe they've to avoid creating problems. They just have to have a strict set of guidelines. And this is how we do things. You get this modification, and so on and so forth just to avoid, well, he got to do this. Why can't I do that type of, you know, situation. So it's, that's going to be very dependent, you know, in a smaller agency, like where you're at, I could see you'd have that flexibility.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, totally. And sure. that's, that's where, what size company do you to know, work for? What kind of things are important to you? You know, those are things to think about. Um, but yeah, just because I'm making Twitter jokes. <laughs> I did notice that Elon Musk is like in a lawsuit in Delaware with Tesla stock owners because he's getting paid the most money ever for a CEO and he didn't even have to commit to doing that job full
0: time. so everything is negotiable (laughs) yes yes yeah i'm sure it is sure all right so we've been going way long here so we're gonna wrap this up any quick hits you want to uh mention before we head on to picks
1: no i don't think we covered a lot of stuff there it's uh it was a great conversation but yeah i'd love to let's get into picks
0: yeah so as of this recording in the past week So we're in right before Thanksgiving past week, there's been announcements of like what Meta's good, letting go of a few thousand stripes, let go of a bunch, you know, Twitter's let go of a bunch for different reasons, trying to think of some of the other big. So there's been some significant layoffs in the developer community for various reasons, mostly to do with economic downturn. So there's a lot of people out there looking for work. There's going to be a lot of competition. So it's it's really tough. So. I'm very grateful to be on the hiring side and not the job looking side of things at this point in time, for sure. But uh, if you're looking, keep your head up and keep trying and good luck. So I can say, yeah. So with that, we'll move on to picks.
2: Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it uh, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have Two workshops every week, one of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right? Where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, Okay. And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular View, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topenddevscom slash sign up. And you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The, the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up.
0: Pick's a part of the show where we get to talk about things that are non-tech related or, you know, could be anything ranging from books, movies, food, some cool tool that I got to move, you know, whatever. My specialty is the dad joke. And so I'll share a few dad jokes here while Drew take some time to think about picks that he might have.
1: Uh, I've got my picks. Do you want to you want to start with mine and then finish on a joke? Yeah, let's do that. We'll the best <laughs> for last. Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> so at the end of the year, uh, Web web.dev puts out a state of CSS kind of update. Yes. And the, the state of CSS 2022 one is really, really interesting and goes through some of the new CSS features and kind of what they've been focusing on as a collective, like between all the browser vendors. And so... I really encourage anyone to check that out. But some of the uh, the highlights that make my life <laughs> much better was the dynamic view height units. So if anyone's ever had to deal with one hundred vh in CSS on a mobile device, you'll know what I'm talking about. So what the recap of that is: if you in CSS set hundred vh on a unit or on a, an element on the on a desktop that's just gonna be 100% of the view height, which is what you expect. But on a mobile phone, it will actually be 100% of the view height, ignoring the height of the browser address bar. So it will actually be more than 100 VH, depending on if the address bar is visible or not. So when you're at the top of a scroll, at the top of the page, the address bar is visible. And so this thing that you thought would fill the screen will actually go bigger than the screen. And it's so annoying, <laughs> especially with like full screen slideshows and things like that at the top of the page. But now they've introduced and standardized a new unit called DVH, dynamic view height, which will change depending on where, how that address bar is sized. Man, I can't tell you how many problems and how many like, client notes that's going to solve. So I'm very excited for that but there's a whole bunch of other things mentioned in that article that are really really interesting uh and excited for and makes our lives easier so uh, check it out uh, web.dev state of css 2022
0: So this is this isn't the survey right there's a survey there like a state of css survey No this is not the
1: survey problem. this is just okay. like the recap of of basically what came out of the like Google I.O. twenty twenty two kind of conference and stuff like that. It's really interesting.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, we'll we'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Oh yeah, here it is. Okay, cool. Anything else?
1: Yeah, that's that's the main one. All righty. Well so, and then Nuxt, Nuxt came out. Nuxt three launched. So uh it's in it's in production and it's out of beta and it's big it's a big deal.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've been seeing a lot about that. That's really cool. Really good. I know that's been a long time coming for sure. Wasn't it like over a year in beta? Didn't it go into beta August of last year? Or I think so. Yeah, it's been a long time. And it's been like, yeah, you and I and Daniel talked quite a yeah. couple of times about Daniel Rowe of the Nux core team. I like to name drop. You know, it makes me sound important. So I have this one. This is a video. You sort of have to see it. And it's really funny. It's titled front end developer and back end developer. And <laughs> what it shows is, uh, so this guy's pretending to do a magic show for a bunch of people. And he's on one side, it looks like a kitchen counter, and all these people are on the other side. And so he's holding this bread. He's holding this brown, you know, standard grocery bag. And he shows them there's nothing in it. Well, the the backside of the bag has a hole cut in it. And then hiding down behind the counter is this other gal. And so he sets the bag down and he waves his hands over it and stuff. And she reaches up and puts a pitcher of some sort of, you know, juice or punch or something like that. At, and then so he reaches in and pulls it out. And it looks like he hasn't done anything. <laughs> And they go through that three or four times where she's putting something in there while he's got the bag on the counter and then he pulls it out and everybody thinks he just pulled it out of thin air. And so <laughs> the idea is the guy, the magician is labeled as the front end dev and the gal that's putting all the juice and stuff in the bag behind the scenes is the back end dev. It's really funny if you <laughs> see it. It's, it's hard to do it just in describing it, but once you see it, you totally get what it's saying. <laughs> and as someone who's done both and does both, I can totally get it. And now for... The dad jokes of the week. So the other night, uh, my wife and I went out to dinner and, you know, we're sitting there looking at the at the menu and the waitress uh, comes up to us and says, uh, hey, can I take your order? And I said, no, it's mine. Right. And then there's a bakery on the corner, you know, they make some nice fresh baked stuff. And and I uh, I went in and I said, hey, I'd like to buy uh, a muffin with some chocolate chips. And she said, sorry, we only take cash. You know, you can't pay with chocolate chips, although I can think of some people that would love to take payment in chocolate chips, like my wife. And then, you know, I'm an older guy, I've been married for 25 years, but the other day I got asked out by five different girls. (laughs) Turns out I was in the ladies' bathroom. Not exactly the place I want to be. So, all right, with that, we will wrap it up. Thank you to uh, everybody for listening to this very long episode. Hopefully, it was some very useful information. Drew, if people want to contact you or share the pearls of wisdom that drip from your lips every day, where can they bet or give you money? If they want to give you money, for instance, uh, how can they best get a hold of you? <laughs> you can
1: find me on GitHub under the Funk uh, repo. Uh, And our whole account there, just check it out. There's a bunch of interesting open source stuff on there. And also I'm on Twitter, DrewRBaker underscore. And also just email me, Drew at funkhouse.us. That's spelled like the German way, F-U-N-K-H-A-U-S dot
0: U-S. Very good. I am wonder95 in most places. Uh, Twitter, get up to five dad jokes a week on Twitter. If you want to follow me there and occasional tech stuff. And that's it. We'll wrap it up. Oh, before I forget, I would like to say thank you to the studio audience today. You've been really great. And if you want tickets to be in our studio audience, you can contact me on Twitter at wonder So with that, we will wrap it up for this episode of Views on View. Thank
2: you, Drew, for coming all the way from Australia. And we will talk to you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.